Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks. I'm your host, Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst at Knight Frank. And this week I'm joined by Knight Frank's Head of Retail Research, Stephen Springham, and Retail Analyst, Emma Barnstable. Hi Stephen and Emma, welcome to the podcast. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. So in this episode, we'll be setting the scene firstly on the current state of the UK retail sector now that we're two years on from the start of the pandemic. And we'll then move on to look at how a consumer squeeze is impacting the market. So you may have read the news around rising prices from everything from margarine, which has gone up by 30% in the past year, to clothing with Next forecasting price hikes of nearly 4% just in the first half of this year alone. So, Stephen, clearly we know the pandemic has not been easy on UK retail. But when you're looking at this, how can we sort of quantify quite how bad it was? I know that, for example, the vacancy rate has been sort of levelling off. But in terms of the number of retailers that have gone bust, how are you looking at that in terms of the damage that's been done? It's hard to put into context. I mean, the word unprecedented has been used to death, but it really is. I mean, we've never never faced a situation like this before and, and hopefully never face one like it ever again. But, I mean, to put it into context, I did a quick tot-up. I mean, you know, non-essential retail was locked down for about 224 days in total. So, you know, that's a significant part of a of a volume-driven business that is reliant on people spending money with it all the time. So, you know, I don't think, you know, anything bar anything as, as drastic as a world war could be as, as bad as, as what we've had. So, you know, in terms of context, you know, this is as, as bad as we could have feared. But we've survived it. We're coming out the other end. And, you know, if you, you look at what's happened over the past few years, I mean, obviously, spending patterns have been decimated. But as and when lockdowns have been lifted, as and when we've had some sense of normality, there has been a rebound. So, And I guess it's hard to tie everything to the pandemic as well, because obviously some of those closures may have happened anyway, if not recently, then perhaps over the next few years. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned retail failures. I had a, I dug out some numbers before we, we, we started the podcast. And the fallout probably hasn't been as massive as people may, may expect. I mean, the centre of, of retail research, which actually tracks this, actually only had 19 retailers failing last year. They're probably overstating it insofar as you know, I just had a quick look at some of the, the operators. And, and some of them aren't really retailers at all. You know, they're retail suppliers or so... That's not very much. I mean, if you look at 2020, I won't go into the huge depth on the numbers, but yeah, 54 companies failed. Probably the interesting thing is you look at the five years prior to that, the average was about 40 to 45. So, you know, we've not seen a massive, massive acceleration of of fallout. We've seen sort of a number of retailers that were struggling along because, you know, for any positivity that I can put on here, you know, let's face it, yeah, retail is a it's a very challenged market, and those those challenges existed before COVID came along. So you know, what we've probably seen is just an acceleration of that sort of shakeout, if you like. Emma, what's your take? So two years on, looking back at everything that's happened, obviously you've been following the market. Do you think there's anything that retailers can kind of learn from this moving forward now that we've got a bit more perspective and a bit more hindsight? Clearly retail's been in difficulty anyway, but um, what would you say are the kind of takeaways at this point? Obviously, I think retailers did have a really awful time of it during the pandemic. And as we've mentioned, the vacancy rights did really spike up. I think they reached about 15.8%. About 17,000 stores, I think, were affected in 2020. But I think the positive from it is that it it did really shake the market up and it was the ultimate stress test. And what retailers have come out of it with 
is that they've become really resilient and we're going to see a new breed of occupier coming forward and and through the ranks. So we'll have fewer but fitter operators who will be taking the market forward. And we have really seen that with the data as well. We've seen around 7,000 new store openings. So there is lots of occupier activity there with a lot of brands pledging to grow their estates going forward in the next five years to really take advantage of the flexibility and affordability that they're now seeing in the market. What would you both describe now as a sort of fitter retailer? What does that even look like now? You know, they've kind of got to understand their consumer a bit better as well, the way they like shopping and maybe being able to collect more data. A lot of retailers obviously had to rely on online to sort of survive or do sort of click and collect new methods of purchasing. But by doing that, they've been able to collect a lot of data on their customer base and perhaps open up into new markets that they thought they weren't able to sort of penetrate previously. So that may be one of the ways that they've become a bit more agile. Anything to add on to that, Stephen, just on fit retail, what does that look like now? There's two sides to it. I mean, there's one, this is sort of the financial side, if you like, um, financial stroke operational. So one of the sort of structural failings of retailers were they had too many stores, they had sort of unwieldy store portfolios. They weren't ruthless enough in, in sort of getting rid of underperforming space in the past, but there's nothing like a global pandemic to focus the mind. So, you know, a lot of lot of the fallout has been sort of overdue housekeeping, if you like. They should have been doing this as, as a matter of course over the years. They haven't, so they've had to do it in one sort of fell swoop. But obviously, a lot of that's been done now. I'm not pretending it wasn't painful, but it's it, it's kind of worked through the system now. And as Emma alluded to, I mean, obviously, while you know, stores were closed, you know, a lot of retail CEOs had a lot of time to reflect and strategize, if you like. So, actually really sort of come again in, in, in thinking how they go forward. And, you know, thirdly, or, or linked to that really, is the whole multi-channel piece. I mean, obviously, a lot changed during the pandemic. I mean, there's been a lot of narrative around online cleaning up while store-based operators stayed closed. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot more nuanced than that. I mean, most retailers these days are multi-channel. The end game for multi-channel is to make the store-based and online operations as seamless and joined up as possible. You know, and I think... Most have have made major strides on that front, you know, over the course of the pandemic. So if there are positives to come out of it, I think that is one of them. Just to be a real mood killer again, um, there are obviously some pretty major headwinds coming up. um, And I think we've talked before, Stephen, around the ban on commercial property fictions being lifted at the end of March. I think for some, you know, some have talked about, will we see mass evictions, widespread legal action, aggressive landlord behaviour? etc etc obviously plenty of people disagree with that and think it'll be quite muted what's your take on that do you think it will be quite damaging or relatively sanguine hopefully it won't be as bad as all that i think if you'd asked me this six months ago you may get a very different answer from what you'll get now again you know there's been a lot of rental arrears built up during the course of the pandemic retailers have not been paying rent on stores that have been closed by and large you know, most landlords and tenants have actually sort of worked through their differences by now, if you like, well, they should have done if they, if they haven't already. But yeah, so they, you know, a lot of leases have been re-geared, a lot have been extended, some have been written off, you know, there's no one size fits all solution. But by and large, most landlords and tenants have, have reached agreements ahead of the lifting of the moratorium. Inevitably, there'll be a few 
disputes. Um, you know, that's the sort of facet of the market, really. Um, and again, I think the media are, are being quite bloodthirsty about all this, expecting you know mass fallout. But realistically, retailers uh, or landlords aren't going to evict retailers en masse for the very simple reason is there isn't a queue of other occupiers waiting to take the space. So, you know, unless they can backfill, they're not going to, to sort of cut their nose off to spite their face. So, again, you know, it will be a pinch point, but more of a bump in the road rather than a, a total roadblock, really. And, you know, there will be some arbitration inevitably, but we think that will be the exception rather than the rule. And, and looking at sort of the average UK consumer, um, I was banging on at the beginning about the cost of margarine and cost of clothing. So the, the latest release from Next was quite interesting, just around um, sort of citing difficulties on or cost of transport, manufacturing delays or feeding into price increases. I mean, how soon will this start impacting, do you think, retail sales figures? I know there was a bit of a bounce in the January sales data, um, but presumably with such severe cost hikes, most consumers will be quite reluctant to go out on a big spend now and they'll be very careful over spending going forward. It's hard to say. As you say, we've all the sort of the warning signs are there, the actual reported data is is telling us a, a very different story. You know, there's no great consumer slowdown as yet, again, we're still in sort of funny territory insofar as obviously January's figures were compared to last January when we were in lockdown. So it's it's not really a level playing field and we're not going to get that for quite a few months, unfortunately. So it's, it's very hard to read. But um, again, you flag some of the headwinds there, obviously, inflation and, and energy costs being the two key ones, really. The sort of tailwinds, if you like, is this unspent money that, that accumulated during the pandemic various estimates i mean they they can only be that you know there's there are no hard and fast numbers on this but you know there's still about 200 billion pounds worth of accidental savings as they're being called um still still sloshing around in the economy and not just the money but i think you know people are more determined to spend it which is is always a key thing in retail you know it's not just having the money it's it's being predisposed to actually parting with it and at the moment the tailwinds are still outstripping the head or, or outpacing the headwinds if that's the right turn of phrase but we haven't seen it as yet and you know i don't think we're going to see an abrupt slowdown obviously we're going to see a a few funny months when the year on year comparables are are all over the place to be honest but i you know i don't think everyone is going to suddenly start tightening their belts anytime soon if i'm honest i mean our forecast for this year is that retail sales growth will be about three and a half percent which to be honest is in line with 10 and 30 year averages so we're, we're fingers crossed hoping for a fairly normal year and Emma, I know you've commented on this on social media a bit around, you know, the consumer squeeze and how much impact that is having. Just following on from Stephen's point, really, around people sort of sitting on savings and, um, well, I guess also the fact people are generally not travelling as much, they're staying in the country. I mean, are you seeing signs of people being prepared to go out and spend despite all of these warning signals that we seem to be bombarded with every day? I think so. I mean, we're two years on now of disruption and people being locked down, people having to stay in their houses, having to sort of limit their socialising. And I think everyone is keen to sort of go out and spend and meet up with family and friends who they've not seen for so long. So I think there definitely are the occasions for people to be buying more fashion items, to be going out. And, you know, we spent a lot of time in our house wanting to refurbish our homes and yeah, having saved all that money, 
not commuting, not buying those coffees every day uh, when you're in the office. I think there is a lot of money there to be spent and people are eager and willing to spend it when they can. And Steve, when do you reckon we'll get a sort of clearer idea of the sort of present versus pre-pandemic numbers? I know you mentioned for obvious reasons, January is quite tricky, but at what point will we get a clearer sense of how soon we'll, we'll be moving on from this? I mean, we'll get a much clearer picture in the coming months. I mean, obviously, this month, being February, we'll get a clearer picture. But obviously, we're always lagging a month behind in the data. You know, then we've at least got a two-year view because I think a lot of the narrative, however positive about us being back to pre-pandemic levels, is is a bit misguided. Um, I think all those sort of comparisons on the retail sales side, all they've been really doing is comparing whichever month with February 2020, which retail is a massively seasonal market, you know, February is probably the quietest month in a calendar year. So what I'm saying is it's not a level playing field. It's not a a good basis of comparison. But as as I think once we pass the sort of two-year stage, we'll have a a much better handle of which retail subsectors are in deficit, if you like, i.e. all the spend that was lost during the pandemic has yet to be clawed back. I mean, you know, we can second guess those already. I mean, the key one really is fashion. I mean, that's really went through the mill during the pandemic. I mean, in 2021, fashion sales were down by about 26%. So even if they recovered in 10, 12%, I'm not sure of the exact number last year, you know, there's still some way to go before we can turn around and say the fashion market is back to pre-pandemic levels. But, you know, again, you know, we'd expect to get there maybe by probably by the summer. Are you citing like store figures there rather than online? No, that's including online. Online apps here. I mean, again, this is one of the great fallacies of the pandemic that online retailers had a very easy ride. I mean, Two points to make on that. I mean, the the 26% decline that I alluded to, that includes online fashion. So that's all channels, so store-based and and online. So, you know, the very simple message, people didn't buy clothes during the pandemic, you know, whether they bought them from ASOS, Boohoo or or store-based retailers. Which actually that ties into what Emma was just saying around, obviously, now that people are going out again, obviously that demand is ticking up again. So as a counterpoint to the cost inflation, the desire to go out and be seen. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the other thing I would say is we talked to sort of circle back to, we were talking about um, business failures. I mean, I don't don't particularly want to dwell on that. It's not the most positive of subjects, but, you know, just looking at the, we've got three retailers that have failed so far this year and year to date. They're all online pure plays. If you look at the 19 that failed last year, about a dozen of them were online pure plays. So Again, there's this sort of slightly gets lost in the narrative about online being this this infallible channel. And actually, if you look at the numbers, you look at the failures. A lot of them are operators that are supposedly you know ring fenced from all all this all these wider pressures, and that, that simply isn't the case. On the sort of physical stores, though, Emma touched on the vacancy rate going up to sort of fifteen percent. I know it's sort of levelled off recently, but what's your outlook on that? Do you see that getting kind of steadily worse for the rest of the year, or do you think we'll have a bit of a I guess plateau period? this point? I mean, I think it's peaked. I mean, I think it peaked at 15.7%, I think back in November, I think I'm correct. So we've had the figures for December and January. And again, it's it's starting to come down. And in all honesty, expect that to continue. Again, we're not talking massive leaps down. So it's probably only down to 15.5% now. By the end of the year, if we're at 15%, I think we'll have done well. So I think the general trend is down, but I think we have to be realistic. You know, it's not going to jump down to to 10% anytime soon. So, you know, there's there's a number of, well, there's two key moving parts here. I mean, obviously, some retail floor space is being repurposed, so we'll actually drop out of the equation. But as Emma said, you know, there are a lot of operators still taking space. So, you know, those two factors 
should mean that that vacancy rate slowly comes down, but the operative word really is slowly. Thank you, Emma and Stephen. Thanks, Anna. No worries. For more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. See our show notes for more details. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and listen out for our next episode in two weeks. Thank you for listening to this week's Intelligence Talks.